on this week's episode, it's the Nintendo Direct versus PlayStation's State of Play. She-Hulk battles for her own name, and what's the legacy for the Lakers? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give us that five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, Game Source, the great folks at Vampires and Vitae, Hey. It was also as well the great folks at Wild Beyond the Witchlight, of course, part of the Wizards and Wine experience. Of course, our great friends at the Demolition Force, who will be celebrating episode number 100 this coming Monday. So check it out today at the Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you also get hours upon hours upon hours of tabletop RPG action right there for you, because we're the number one tabletop leader in the RPG world at Facebook. Plus also as well, you'll catch the latest news and information on the world of pop culture each and every day right there at Facebook at Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're almost 1,100 followers right there at Facebook at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So truly appreciate that. And if you can go ahead and catch all that, plus our stuff at popculturecosmos.com, it is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without a good friend and subbing in for his beloved wife, Belinda Barkhouse Ross. He's a good man indeed. You got to go ahead and check him out every time out as he goes on his crazy adventures with the whole gang at Vampires and Vitae, plus also as well his awesome characters and that he creates out of his own devious mind. It's part of the Demolition Force each and every Monday as well. Good man indeed. You got to go ahead and check him out there. It is Mr. Robbie Ross. And Robbie, great to have you on. Subbing in for Melinda. I'm hoping she will feel better, but I'm great to have you on board today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure, first of all, just to get to talk to you in the first place. Second of all, entertain some people as we're doing it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's jump in. Let's jump in indeed. What I have on the docket for today's plan, a lot of great things, including Nintendo Direct versus PlayStation State of Play. Wouldn't you know, they did it on the same day. We'll talk about the highlights from each and see which one came out a little bit better. In Robbie's opinion, that's coming up on the show. Plus also as well, we'll talk a little She-Hulk later on with episode five. Is the series meeting expectations? We'll talk about... eh, a little bit of that and a little bit of this when it comes to She-Hulk. That's coming up on the show. Plus some Disney Plus stuff. Possible future for Disney Plus and what it may be. 
Maybe it's something that I have been predicting for a while now. Is it time for me to pat myself on the back? We'll go ahead and talk about that coming up here in a bit. Plus also as well, Vampire Academy. Speaking of vampires, as only he can do as the mastermind behind Vampires and Vitae, I'd love to hear his thoughts on Vampire Academy. Plus also a great interview that I had with Stephen Leckert, the executive producer of Legacy on Hulu. Legacy, the true story of the LA Lakers, which is right now available on Hulu. Six great episodes so far, and you can go ahead and catch that right now. And I talked to him on the episode as well. But first, my friend, it is Nintendo Direct versus PlayStation State of Play. Pretty much what it comes down to. They they both introduced a lot of other great things. They had a DLC, some games coming out. Tekken 8 was introduced by PlayStation. Huge reveal. Huge reveal. Looks so but good. The thing I wanted to talk about most was the reveal for the name of the upcoming Zelda game and the time window that's going to be released. Plus also as well, more footage that got a war. Ragnarok is yeah. still coming out, which is amazing that a AAA game is still coming out in 2022 and it hasn't been delayed. So I want to hear your <laughs> thoughts before I go into a little bit of that. Initially, when you heard what was going on between the Nintendo Direct with all of its talk about Zelda and all the things that were going on there, Splatoon 3, a little bit of added DLC talk. And sure. All Pikman. Pikman's yeah, Pik- huge. Pikman 4, I think it yeah. is. Yeah. Well, they showed a t-shirt, but they didn't, I mean, they didn't really show a lot of gameplay for the Pikman. Oh, yeah. Still, and then, most of them again, don't. Yeah. 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 They, they always uh, give you that, those, those nice cut scenes, those nice cinematic intros. And then they show you gameplays about maybe about a year or two down the road. So for yeah. the most part, it was a little bit of that on each side. But your thoughts on Nintendo versus PlayStation? Ooh, if we're going to go straight back and forth, that is, I mean, I think it's really interesting. So I think that they've chosen two very demographics to make happy. Uh, I mean, how many farm games did Nintendo throw out there? I mean, I think there were four. Well, you know, I know four off the top of my head. They I made mean, a ton like, of money with with Animal Crossing. Yeah. You see what Disney has done coming out in, in early access with its own version of an Animal Crossing type sure. game. Yeah. So there's a lot of money in it, my friend. A lot of I money mean, indeed. He, I mean, heck, just look at Brie Larson's channel on YouTube. I mean, like that was like Animal Crossing heavy and it just blew up and wonderful. Like, like it was really fun, a good way to introduce people to uh, like casual gamers. And don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is casual gaming. I'm saying that I think it's a really good bridge for people that don't necessarily want to grind through something like Elden Ring and that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it, it is more peaceful it is more relaxing but then get on the other side with with sony and they're coming out with some of these huge titles i mean i mean tekken 8 look at those graphics it looked incredible where my money is going to go is it's going to be on the sony side but that doesn't diminish exactly what you're saying those farming games although there were at least four that i remember off the top of my head from their releases there's definitely a market there animal crossing i think just kind of put that hole in the dam and now you get all these little springs coming out. Let's see who lands on top and they're fun. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say they're not enjoyable to play. I just think that yeah. they're, they're hunting two different kinds of gamers with these releases. Although the Zelda piece, woof, that looks cool. I mean, like the last Zelda was incredible. I think it was like, talk about a game changer, beautiful, well, beautiful art. The title of it is Zelda 
The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. That's going to be coming out next year. A lot of people are looking forward to that when it comes out in the first half of 2023. Actually, it looking to be very something that it's going to have that expansive world that a lot of people yeah. are are hoping for that they saw and already played in the previous Zelda game, Breath of the Wild. I think gorgeous. this is just going to, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous game for what gorgeous. it pushes the boundaries of what the Nintendo Switch can do. Oh, sure. But, but, but so did Ocarina of Time when it came out. I mean, do you remember yeah. playing that game and just yeah. being like, wow, this is where it's going. This is, this is where it's at. And I feel like Breath of the Wild was a beautiful successor to that. And I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that they just keep that art. They keep that, that open worldness, just the exploration without it being so dark soulsy, you know what I mean? Like it can be interesting, but more in like a puzzle solving kind of way, instead of just that repetitive, almost, you know, self harm kind of like gameplay, you know, talk about a grind. So this will be a really fun thing. I think that's probably their strongest Pikmin I mentioned earlier. That game has so many different places to go. Uh, it's really, really a huge release for them. It is. It is. I mean, a lot of good things were announced or shown off. Obviously, they had to go ahead and showcase some stuff when it comes to Bayonetta 3, which I'm really sure. high on as far as one of their yep. best games, exclusive games that they've had on the you know that system. I truly GoldenEye? GoldenEye. Well, they've got... Well, the GoldenEye versions, they're going to be a little bit different for the Nintendo Switch and the Xbox. Unfortunately, PlayStation doesn't get an offering of it, but Rare right. did come out and say that they've got a, uh, I guess, an updated version. It is not the same version that they that leaked out in 2021, which is yep. even better looking version than what was being shown here. But at least it's a a version that people will be able to play with a online multiplayer yes. for Nintendo. And then for the Xbox, they don't get online multiplayer, but they do get uh, a little bit of upgraded graphics as far as 4K, I think, as far as for that I mean, system. So. The, co the couch co-play, especially with the GoldenEye, I think anyone, at least within my generation, like... If you, well, that'll if you, be for the Xbox, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that that's... That is the core of GoldenEye. We all have those great member berries of going back and coming to your friend's house and playing specifically GoldenEye. Being able to do that online now, you know what? You probably don't get to sit on the couch with a lot of those friends you had as a kid. You can literally now, on the other releases, uh, be able to reach out to an old buddy that you used to play GoldenEye with and play that you know, a better experience of the same kind of feeling. I think it's very exciting and exceptionally smart of them. Absolutely. But like I said, a lot of things were shown off at both of these directs, state of plays, whatever you want to say, these presentations yep. per se for these both sure. these gaming giants. A lot of things really look good for it. I mean, there's some good things that I think are on the way for it. I think the the looks at Hogwarts Legacy, you could talk about the yeah. looks at at everything that they did with Pacific Drive, a new game that was announced with on the Nintendo side. Tunic is yeah, coming to catch. Switch. Yeah, it's 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 Fire Splatoon. Emblem Engage. Splatoon's coming out. Yeah, Splatoon Three well. actually already is out, but there are obviously some added content that's coming on the way for yeah. that with some DLC. So Splatoon Three has already gotten off to a good start for Nintendo. So yeah. A lot of good things that were announced from both Nintendo and PlayStation. I think both were really on point as far as what they showed off. Like you said, PlayStation, I know that it's a PlayStation house that you guys live in. So 
I know that you were excited to see what was to come, especially with the great look at, uh, of course, what's going on with Kratos and God of War Ragnarok. Oh, that that's what that was my hype moment. I mean, that was definitely that that's when I got really excited about the the entire process. It's also great when two giants go to war over our attention, isn't it? Like, like, like just the offering and the amount of offering because someone's going to win. I mean, let's, let's think about when uh, the Xbox one came out versus, you know, PlayStation, you know, like all you had was everyone throwing all their dice, all their cards on the table. And what really comes out on top, I think in those scenarios is the consumer. We saw the, the backdrop, the pullback from Xbox and all the changes that they did. And this was all positive for the consumer. So when you see these giants fight, this is a good time to be, a, you know, to be a gamer. Absolutely. But if you have thoughts out there on the Nintendo Direct and the PlayStation State of Play, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. But before we hit the break, wanted to go ahead and hit you up with She-Hulk Episode 5. I'm going to be honest with you, my friend. I really am not that entrenched in this series. I just found it to be formulaic. I found it, the humor to be somewhat flat. It's it's trying to present itself as a law-style, case-of-the-week type comedy set in type of a superhero mantra. This week's theme for this episode was... She-Hulk battling for the rights to keep her name She-Hulk yeah, because it much. was being used. Yes, it was actually purchased and being used. Really, she had to go ahead for the most part and try to fend off the thwarting of a name that she doesn't even like. And in order to go ahead and win, it just seems to be the same formula. We feel sorry for her. She looks at the camera. She talks about how Titania steals her name, a name that she doesn't even like. And she has to embarrass herself with her dates that she went on in order to go ahead and win her case. Just didn't seem to me very amusing. It just seemed to me, uh, you know, that you have more pity for her as a character, as far as Jennifer Walters is concerned. Your thoughts on She-Hulk as it goes through episode five. Well, uh, I'll start off with some positive. So some of that positiveness is like where the show's trying to ground itself. Like it's definitely trying to be something that working women can relate to. A lot of those issues are specific for a demographic that is not on my shoulders. Uh, a lot of that things that, that that'll be going through with individuals that the show is designed for, I think maybe hit a little bit stronger than it would for like, I'm not their target audience, you know? I mean, for, for example, well, the Jennifer, when she's Jennifer Walters, she's actually very good. It's when she's she Hulk and everything that, that that's goes what on takes there. you out. Well, that's for me, that's out. not even it. For me, what takes it out is the courtroom scenes. I mean, like, we have great well, shows like yeah. Allie McBeal. I mean, like, we know how to write incredible female, powerful, charismatic, strong lawyers. I mean, you could have gone to the guys from Suits. You could have gone to the old G's and go to, like, Law and Order. I mean, like, these things are famous for a reason because courtroom scenes are about someone's innocence or tragedy or you know i mean like the stakes can't be higher this is why we see hospital shows this is why we see law shows this is uh, this is this is all stuff that is just ripe and and it, it crosses the gender barrier because it is i mean like because you remove the power structure because it's just you know what is true in the court of law so i don't understand why they just didn't tap into some of more of those 
those writers from the past that have proven that they can do this, not just in a masculine uh, forum, but they can do this with, you know, a female lead and really just crush it, make it outrageously interesting for a novice community that doesn't really know anything about the law. Uh, so well, the, that's the, the cases, though, to. are not – well, the cases just aren't compelling. The no, cases they're not. No, and, and no. you're in a world with superheroes. How can how can our real life cases be more compelling than what's happening in a fictitious superhero ridden world? Very disappointing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean to come on that strong to it, but it's just like I no, want this to be no. good. Like, like this is cool, yes. and I do, and I understand it's not for me. So some of the stuff that like the, the back and forth in the beginning with banner of you don't understand what it is to be angry like that made me angry to be completely honest but i'm still rooting for the show it's just i, I just think that they need to focus less on some of the things they're focusing on and focus more on more uh, the word is wrong is derivative but uh, tried and true uh, writers that get the example or get the opportunity more to write in a fantastical setting with the law involved that could be outrageously interesting if just provided correctly absolutely so i mean with last week's episode dealing with wong and the problems that he had with a magician so to speak and i use that term loosely that was really uh, probably the low point of the series for the most part because okay. the first 20 minutes were just really not good at all and this series though is really not giving her as because tatiana maslani as an actress, she is nailing a lot of what we're seeing as far as her her timing, her character, physicality, you know, yeah, physicality, right. yeah, you know, sure. even especially when she's Jennifer Walters, you know, the thing is, though, we constantly as a as an audience have to feel sorry for her again and again and again, because She-Hulk is getting so much of the attention and so much of the glamour and so much of everything else in regards to the positives. And yet this, you know, we, we're made to feel pity for Jennifer Walters character from time and time out. She is actually her character is probably the most interesting part of She-Hulk, but yet we see very little of it for most of the season so far, which is the kind of disappointing part uh, or actually one of the disappointing parts of the series. Well, it's the complete opposite of the Hulk. You know what I mean? Like you see very little of the Hulk. You see way more banner. I mean, yeah. like that is I mean, like going th- man it's it's like they're trying not to do what they've already done before it's which i understand and is understandable but you know i just i I think find your shot find your point and drive towards that i just feel like the whole show is a little bit too spread out and a little bit loose i don't know if that makes any sense to you no it it does it does feel like it's just uh not very well organized yeah it just spins yeah it just it just spins it just tries to do whatever it can throw out some jokes and be able to go ahead and laugh at the courtroom dramas of the past and do sure. what it can there, but it's just not that funny. Everything is falling flat, and it's just yeah. again one of the weaker performances so far, as far as the show is concerned, in regards to She-Hulk so far in the MCU TV timeline, so to speak. Oh, so yeah. I'm not exactly thrilled with what I'm seeing. Again, Tatiana Maslany herself, I think, is going to do great, especially yeah. get her in a movie platform down the road, working with the Avengers, the whole nine yards. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I think she's, she's an action star ready to go. She just is yeah. 
It's just yeah. in a weird a place right this second. Yeah. yeah. Sauce it up, make it awesome, put a little bit more stakes in there so you can trust the actor, you can trust the action, you can trust the people behind it. That's something I'm very excited for. What are your thoughts out there on She-Hulk episode five? Please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, I've got Stephen Leckert, one of the executive producers of Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers. That's right now available on Hulu. And on the back end, Robbie Ross and I will be talking about what's going on with Vampires and Vitae, plus also more Vampires with Vampire Academy on Peacock, plus also as well some Disney Plus and some movie dates for the Disney surprises with Star Wars. What's going on with that? We'll talk about that on the back end of the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Now I have a very special interview because I have a very special guest. If you've been watching Hulu, you are seeing the outstanding series I've enjoyed so much so far, and that is Legacy, the true, and I love the fact that the emphasis is on the true story of the LA Lakers. We've got one of the executive producers here. It is Stephen Leckert. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today for a great conversation on your awesome series so far. Thank you for having me, and thank you for watching. Absolutely. Truly appreciate the opportunity to see it. I have a question in relation later on that I'll save for the end about uh, the fact that this is the third series so far this year in relation to somehow true or not fiction or otherwise on the Los Angeles Lakers. But again, we'll go back to that in, the, in a little bit. But I wanted to ask first how you became involved with this project, because Antoine Foucault, I mean, as someone who also does a pop culture radio show each and every week, I don't think I need to go ahead and elaborate on the just outstanding career of Antoine Foucault because he's the, the I guess, the director and one of the masterminds behind this along with yourself and many others. But tell me, from a standpoint from a Lakers fan and a pop culture fan, it's just so exciting to see this collaboration come, come together. How did you get involved with this project? Sure. I mean, I, I got involved two and a half years ago, but it's worth stating that the project started, I think, in earnest about seven years ago. Really? Yeah, it's been in the works for a long time. And I think people kind of lost sight of that and thought it was a reaction to winning time and all these other things. But the Lakers have been talking about doing this project um, for seven years. And the first kind of big executive producer to come on and uh, beyond all the way through is a guy by the name of Kevin Mann at Haven Entertainment. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here. And he's really been a champion throughout the years. And so two and a half years ago, I got the call from Antoine because I had just made a project with him about Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to bring myself on along with Jake Bashinsky, who became our lead editor on this project. And the three of us had worked on this documentary about Muhammad Ali called What's My Name? It's on HBO. Yes. We had a great experience making that film. And so I think with Antoine, it felt like, okay, well, if I'm going to take on the Lakers, I want to bring these guys on. So two and a half years ago, we got the call. And I don't think Antoine knew that I am a diehard Laker fan, grew up here in Los Angeles, 
I went to Magic's basketball camp in 1991, a few months before his announcement. So, I mean, how do you say no to that project? And then, you know, meeting Kevin and his team at Haven, we all just started to talk about the scope and the scale of the project. And Antoine's vision from the beginning was Godfather. And when we started looking at the family and realizing the story of where it it kind of went, especially in 2018 and 19, um, we just realized there was something that you could do that was much bigger and larger than just basketball. Absolutely. And it's evolved into five of the 10 episodes as we're talking right now, looking so forward to the the back half of the episodes for the rest of this great docuseries. So far, I have seen so much that I was aware of and so much as a Lakers fan that I wasn't necessarily aware of. I know there's a lot of little tidbits and facts that were presented on this docuseries that maybe not a lot of fans out there knew or had knowledge on. But the one thing that strikes me most, and I think it's the star of the show, is the archival video footage. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to get this question that, you know, as you even started, prefaced it, that you're probably getting this question, well, this was made in response to Winning Time and all the stuff that they're doing on the HBO series. And, you know, I've seen it. We've, got, we've talked about it on my show several times. But the fact is that archival footage that you've gotten for all these episodes that span the decades must have been an undertaking in and of itself to the point where there's no way you could have gone and just whipped that out in like two months off of an Apple iPhone or something, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, when I when when Jake, myself, and Antoine joined the project two and a half years ago, one of the first things we said was that we're going to need to really dig even deeper into the archive. They'd already been doing tremendous work, so we were really fortunate to inherit drives of footage. But then we started to do a much deeper dig and having, you know, I should specify the the Muhammad Ali documentary we did is entirely archival. You know, 95% of the film is archival, no interviews. And so I think that taught us all a lot about how to approach finding those rare pieces. But when you're dealing with famous people, when you're dealing with journalists who have interviewed famous people, they keep these materials around forever. So, um, and then with with the fact that the Lakers were so welcoming to us, they made a lot of great introductions. So you'll find, I think, it, I don't want to spoil it, but there's an episode where we have audio that was recorded by Bill Burka, who's the assistant coach for many years. And it was at, I don't want to spoil it too much, but basically that audio was something we found late in the game. One of our producers, Michael Mann, was in touch and found this incredible audio and you know our team found a way to just weave it in and so that's an ongoing process you do throughout but it, we wouldn't really have that ability i don't think if it wasn't for the lakers making these introductions to us uh, for us to all these folks and so the level of trust that people would open up their garages and their cardboard boxes to you know find this stuff for us was really special it was awesome just to in fact some of the stuff like for instance the in the latest episode, the Kobe tryout and the comments made by Jerry West, which actually was there was a video attached at one point in time to it. But, you know, as Michael Cooper says, thank God it's not available. <laughs> but the audio is and the audio portion as far as the comments from Jerry West. And that's something that that takes an extensive amount of research to find. Correct. And actually, though, to correct you, the, the audio was recorded separately on a tape recorder. Oh, it was just a personal opinion. But yeah, as far as yeah. from Jerry West on that workout. There, there is a workout tape of the video of him 
of him playing. Yes. And I actually tried personally to go and find it. Our team worked together with me to find this tape because it has disappeared. And I guess this is just a call to the public that if you, you find this tape, please return it to the Bryant family and to the Lakers where it belongs. Absolutely. Despite what Michael Cooper says about that, because uh, if you watch the episode, you'll understand why. But again, the archival footage that's been found, the interviews with Dr. Jerry Buss over the years has been amazing to watch. You get a real sense of who he was as an individual and how he saw how to run the Lakers team. It just is so much a part of what the series is about. Is that part of the, the the luster and the lore of what you were looking at as a Lakers fan when you were working on it? But you really, what stuck out the most? What was the best parts of what you enjoyed about working with this legacy project? Yeah, I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime project because it's 10 parts, nearly 10 hours about, you know, my childhood, the, my favorite team. We're also based here in Los Angeles, so everyone is still pretty much nearby for the most part. So it's hard to sort of pinpoint what my favorite thing is, but I would I would say that what makes the project special beyond the archival and I think the intimate interviews with the players and some of the stories you don't know, I will say the access to the bus family itself is beyond anything that's ever been made or published or captured. And the insights that all of the bus siblings provided to our team both that made the show and then also just were behind the scenes conversations. I don't think anyone on earth has had that kind of access. And, and honestly, that's a testament to the family trusting us and to, to opening their, their doors and opening up their hearts. But it really starts with Jeannie Buss from the beginning and Linda Rambis saying to our team, you know, we, we feel good about this and we trust you. And I think as a journalist and as a filmmaker, for our entire team, that really was quite special. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. And if you're ready to talk toys, I haven't stopped talking toys. Let's get to it. It's the Jay and Rob Toy Show, and we're back for season two for 10 more episodes of Toy Talking Goodness. And this time we talk Marvel figures, we talk DC figures, holy grails, play sets, what if scenarios, and so much more but we're not alone. We've brought a few friends with us this time. All that and of course our action figure spotlight. So check out the Jay and Rob Toy Show season two, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. Was that refreshing to you, given the fact that you know there was such a public family squabble in the previous decade over the rights and ownership of the future for the Los Angeles Lakers? It didn't surprise me, I don't think, at the time, but I didn't really know very much about the Bus family outside of what I'd read in the media. I'd never met Janie. I'd never, certainly had not met Jim. And so I only knew what the media had sort of portrayed about everything. It didn't surprise me at the time that a family would be squabbling over a multi-billion dollar franchise, because I think those are stories that are old as time, and that's why the TV show Secession is so popular. What surprised me was getting to know Jim um, I think our entire team was surprised to get to hear from him and know and hear what was you know going on in his mind at the time. And so I think that's the piece of the puzzle that's going to be really interesting for viewers to watch because you're going to hear parts of that story that have, I don't think ever been told or articulated, even in print. Once again, it's the executive producer, one of the executive producers behind Legacy, the true story of the LA Lakers, Stephen Leckert, 
appreciate you being on and talking to us. You mentioned some of the personalities based in LA that you've had a chance to see. Of course, the many great interviews you had with the players along the way, both on the Lakers, the Lakers organization, and also players on other teams like Larry Bird, Ralph Sampson, many other different faces of the NBA that were on this as far as the, the telling of the story, especially during the 80s, the decades that were covered in the earlier episodes. Was there any thought to reaching out outside of the great journalist Stephen Springer, who's been part of the LA Times scene all the way back from the beginning of the inception of this dawn of the Lakers era of the 80s and so on as, he, as it continued forth? Did you ever have a chance to reach out to possibly Jim Hill, who's been part of the L.A. sports scene for many years, who's actually part of that archival footage? He's always seems to be getting in there. Or Bill Plaschke, who came on later in the annals of the Lakers history, but has also been a very focal part of the 90s and 2000s of the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, if you look at the final version of the series, there's, I believe, no less than 72 people who are interviewed. And I think it was because we filmed multiple conversations with multiple people. There were over 101 sit down interviews that were conducted at a certain point. It it was I mean, it's truly the most expansive and biggest scope and scale of any project I've been a part of. And we talked a lot about, well, where do you draw the line? How many voices are necessary? Who can be a part of the story? And we also wanted to be clear that we felt that the, the players themselves needed to be the centerpiece as far as voices. Mm-hmm. So we we did draw the line at only a couple journalists, but that was mostly to save space for everyone else that had been there and lived it. And if you watch, especially Steve Springer, you know, when he comes into the story, he explains that he was on the bus and he was there. Yeah. And so what, what he serves as is a character who had firsthand experiences as opposed to what some you know, journalism winds up being, especially in professional sports today, it's a lot of secondhand, thirdhand information. Sure. So we were very cognizant of that. And to your earlier point, you know, the the true story of the Lakers is one that needs to be told from the inside, from people who lived it. It can't be second and third hand the way so much media is. So that's where we had to draw the line. Um, but Jim Hill, the the fun of watching him in our doc is you get to see the evolution of his mustache. So. Yes. I was going to say something of that nature. Yes, I remember as being a kid living in the LA area, seeing him and and being so much of a part of the LA sports scene, whether it's football, basketball, you name it, seeing him there. But yeah, see him, like you said, evolve his mustache over the period of, of archival footage from episode to episode. <laughs> if you really look at it, if you're an LA fan, it's kind of, kind of fun. It's, it's a good thing to see though. Yes, absolutely. The only thing I miss is the KHJ opening, the Channel 9 opening from the, you know, na, 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 na. I, I know that was uh, actually between the longtime fans and I, we kidded about that. Like, that's the only thing that was missing. Was that something you actually tried to go after? Or was that something that maybe you tried to stay away from? I actually don't know particularly where and when or how that landed on the cutting room floor. So I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer for that. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. I I love that opening though. What I can tell you is that despite the fact it's 10 hours long and there's 10 episodes and it seems like we cover so much, the amount of stuff that we weren't able to include into the doc, whether it be songs we loved, whether it's things like that opening you always making something like this wind up with pieces and parts on the cutting room floor. That's a bit of a bummer. 
filmmaking is a process of addition and then quite a bit of subtraction. That's okay. You would probably just have to get Chick in the opening talking about Taco Bell and some other well, random things as well. Chick is somebody who deserves a doc in and of himself. I mean, this he is, is such, a, such a fascinating figure and voice. And we're proud of the pieces and parts of him that make it. But we could have used so much more of him if we focused on that. Absolutely. He is an icon of L.A. broadcasting. Both him and Vince Scully will always be remembered as, as some of those just not only for Los Angeles, but the sports in general, just so much that they gave to their communities in, in regards to that. But last thing I want to go ahead and hit you up with this, because I know you are pressed for time, is that is something I started off with in the show, and that this is the third Lakers-related streaming project to hit the airwaves, as we old-timers say, in 2022. So... What do you think viewers will be able to take from this particular series that's ultimately going to be more enjoyable and watchable for them than Winning Time or the Magic Johnson docuseries that debuted and played on Apple Plus? Well, I'll start with Winning Time. So when you're dealing with scripted versus uh, documentary, you know, you're, you're watching everything through a filter and through a lens of the filmmaker dialogue is rendered and recreated. You're projecting a lot about how you think a person might have been. And therefore, what you're watching is a is, is sort of like a combination of guesswork plus just trying to create drama. When we went in to interview folks, you know, and these were extensive interviews, we interviewed players, some of them in sitting in one sitting for up to three hours. We we went in with a sense of a roadmap of what we wanted to cover. But we weren't just trying to get them to talk smack about each other, um, though we do cover those things. It's a much more wide ranging conversation and it's a much more organic process. And it gives them a little bit more of agency in telling their own story. So, you know, although we are creating a roadmap and we know we do need to cover Kobe and Shaq's obviously very big blow ups, which are covered in the media, we can't ignore those things. We're also not rendering or creating any of that drama or inventing it. So that's a very big distinction. I will also say we cover the family all the way from when Jerry Buss buys the team in 79 to 2020. So season one of Winning Time is essentially our first episode. So they're different in, the, in those distinct ways. And then as far as Magic Stock is concerned, you know, so much of it, the focus is on his childhood, where he grew up, his college years, his high school years, falling in love with his wife, Cookie, their relationship, the test of that relationship with his diagnosis, his religion, and then his complete amazing second and third acts of his life, uh, which is still going, of course, which is becoming a massive business success. That's not the story we're telling at all. So, you know, despite the fact, yes, we cover some of the same games and we do cover his diagnosis, we cover it very differently and from a different perspective, you know, and he is deserving of his own doc as well. So, you know, I think they're complementary to one another. But again, we also cover long beyond and into other eras of the team that, you know, he was not even directly involved with. So I think I think our project's distinct. And the fact that all three of these have come out now is just a testament to the Lakers being one of the greatest sports franchises in history. Well, I'll tell you what, it is certainly portraying that on screen with this awesome Hulu docuseries, Legacy, the true story of the LA Lakers. But before we head on out, 
want you to get a final word in here. I would be remiss if I did not ask you as a fellow Lakers fan about the LA Lakers as they stand right now and what your hopes are for them for this season. I think I, I would hear it from Laker Tom. I would hear it from Joe Soro, JB Sweet. I would hear it from all the guys. Why didn't you ask him about this year's team? Yeah, I'm hopeful and optimistic. And listen, regardless of what you think about LeBron James, whether you're a fan or not, he's an amazing, amazing player and is, will, will be one of the greatest of all time and is performing at a level in his 20th year that is, there's no one else who's done that in history. So anytime you're building a team around that figure, your chances are pretty fantastic. So my hopes are always high for this team, but given him alone, I've got both fingers crossed, but I'm not holding my breath. I hear you on that one. We're all holding our breath as Laker fans indeed. But Steven, it's been great having you on. Once again, one of the executive producers behind Legacy, the true story of the LA Lakers. It is Steven Leckert. Steven, it's just been a pleasure having you on. I hope for the honor to bring you on. But any last thoughts before we head on out? I just really have to thank our entire team. It was really big. And if I sat here listing all the names, you'd probably fall asleep because it's, <laughs> it's practically a phone book. But from the top on down, from Antoine Fuqua and his vision and the executive producers I mentioned, especially Kevin Mann, this really was a labor of love for many years. And I think that you can see it on screen. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. And we're back to close out the show. Some PCC Multiverse. Thanks so much, Stephen Leckert, for joining us on the show today. But before we head on out, I know we talked about episode 100, the Demolition Force on Monday, which is great. We're going to get some surprise returns and a lot of good things going on there, Robbie. I will be there. Exactly. Uh Oh, you're but, always missed. You're always uh, missed. And I appreciate it, indeed. But before we head to the final parts of our show, please give us an update on what's going on with the vampires and Vitae. Oh, guys. Oh, guys. I don't know if you checked into our last episode. We had one of our main players, Tyler. He just got a brand new job. Awesome job. We're very happy for him. But he needs two months to stagger up a little bit of time in that industry before he can get his Sundays back. Well, I wasn't going to unwrite or write around him. So I've actually brought back a plot line coming from season one. You have this awesome character named Trevor, and he's a game master. The whole idea of him is setting up the game at the end of the world. Well, a piece that you find out in season one is that the people that he ends up with were not his first choice. In fact, they were his 
third choice. So what I'm playing right now is an eight-episode huge arc of what it took my players a year to go through. So all you're going to get is action pieces. You're not going to get like character development and finding out your uncle's second name. This is all going to be in-your-face action, end-of-the-world, snake god coming with his A-team going to be fun exciting i'm bringing a buddy sean can't wait to introduce you to him he's actually a player in melinda's fantastic game so we got some new talent new blood on the water it's going to be a great time come join us at his vampires and vitae you can see us every single sunday and if you want the curated podcast friday that's when it drops in fact i think our last episode just dropped tonight so if you want to see some of that building watch me build a little bit behind the scenes world uh, peek behind that curtain you can get to see a little little bit of that that's vampires and vitae check it out now wherever you get your podcast or of course pop culture cosmos on facebook as well but my friend before we head on out some interesting things happen as far as disney dropping some dates the mouse is in the house yeah just really curious of course they gave dates for inside out 2 and some of the stuff that they announced for d23 as far as Haunted Mansion, and a lot of the movies that they talked about. But one of the things that they did was they dropped the expected Christmas 2023 date for the latest Star Wars movie that's in development called Rogue Squadron. So now there is no Star Wars movie coming out on Christmas of 2023, which I think to Star Trek fans, as we know Melinda is, is yes. actually a relief because now everything is all in disarray in regards to an upcoming Star Trek movie that was also supposed to be coming Christmas of 2023. But your thoughts on where we're at as far as Star Wars movies, because it looks like for now, Star Wars movies are going to be off the board. Gerald, do you think Andor has anything to do with it? And I have a, I, I'm curious because I know that you're a big fan just like me, and we're talking about the same guys that did Rogue One, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to be... And universally dropped, the one thing that split the divide in between the fandoms, the only thing that we can all agree with is that we like Rogue One. Billion dollar movie. Billion dollar movie, not a billion dollar budget. I don't know if you know this, but the the pizza shop I work at, Rebellion, we have all the Star Wars movies played back to back to back the entire time. A huge fan. And I wonder, it's got to be one of two things. I got to be convinced because I've been wanting to talk about this, but I don't have a lot of nerdy people that are at my tables that I get to say, hey, what do you think about Ondor? Do you think that the reviews of Ondor, because they pre-release to audiences, do you Mm -hmm. think that they, do you think they jumped the shark? Do you think that they've taken the property that everyone trusts because of the director of Rogue One? Do you think that he just went too hard on message or just dropped the ball and they're going to split the fandom again so they're just putting a pin into it for that wave to land? Because it can't be money. We're talking about Disney. You know, like, is it, is it fan getting, like, uh, too much Star Wars? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, like, this the Return of the Mandalorian with their latest one, I think just killed it uh the return of luke i think that they're starting to rebuild some of that fan cred and, and and kind of pull themselves out of the holes from either the people that are really on this side or really on that side i think that they're doing a good job of walking it back down to the center where we can all just be friends again but but it does have a dark look to it and it's coming up here next week i think if i'm not mistaken on the 21st it's going to come yeah. out with the first three episodes which i'm yeah. very excited to go ahead and see 
obviously we know where it's going as far as the world of, of Star Wars and or with Rogue One. And we all know what happens in Rogue One. So they really can't retcon too much yeah. as far as what happens there. It seems very dark. It has Stellan Skarsgård, who is a tremendous actor, uh, well-known for his work with the Marvel movies. I think that's a plus for it. So I'm going to keep an open mind on it. The only thing is they're batting 500 so far this year on Star Wars series, in my sure. opinion, because yeah. the Book of Sloba Fett, as I Rick nicknamed it, <laughs> it is the Book of Boba Fett, was mixed because it started out okay, and then it just really didn't pick up the pace at all and i think no. for that bringing in the mandalorian at the end of that season was the best part of the season that's a character that's, from another show like, and that's the problem with it because yeah. it just showed that how slow and how uninteresting a lot of the boba fett universe was by bringing in mandalorian and have everybody get excited about his and baby yoda's return and not yeah. him so it was it was like the whole show was a promo just to get us all excited for the next season of mandalorian you know and, you, <laughs> kind of and you pretty much needed to see what you need to see about boba fett in the first 10 minutes of the series when you figure out yeah. how he gets out of the sarlacc pit so yes we'll just leave it at that but when it comes to what they did with obi-wan yes we know what happens to both obi-wan and darth vader and outside of the fact that when they have their clashes, you already know what's going to happen and they try to prolong it sure. and they both have like these near death experiences, but we all know right. what's going to happen. So, you know, I, I think that they could have structured those battles a little bit differently, but outside of that, it was pretty compelling. And I hey, thought, it was, and, it, it's, yeah, I thought Obi-Wan was pretty good so far. So and, that, and some of their set pieces were, I mean, like blow away set pieces, uh, Vader stopping the ship and then ripping it apart. I mean, like that as a Star Wars fan, I was just, <gasps> you know what I mean? It just showing his power, showcasing it like that, the soundtrack that they were using, the soundscape that they were using. I thought it was amazing craft and it got me very excited for Star Wars again, which was a great feeling. But there were some pieces in that beginning of that show that was like really struggling because you can see that they're going to set up that Grand Inquisitor for his own thing and blah, blah, blah. So I, I do think that sometimes that they're hanging their legacy characters out to dry to build up new shows. Now, the problem with that is, is that there's a reason why that's called a legacy character. There's a reason why people love these characters because they do. And it's okay. And sometimes I just think that they share the light a little bit too much to make sure that everyone has a large enough spotlight to be enjoyed. And when when we're talking about Obi-Wan, we want to know about Obi-Wan. Like that's all we care about. We want to know we want to know his story instead of something else. So I but as a whole, I thought the show was fantastic, made me very excited. If I have a couple gripes, I just didn't need some of the sub subplots. Give me more Obi-Wan, give me less subplots, pretty much. But again, as you say, they're trying to grow new characters mm. that may go off on their yeah. own. And that's the idea for Disney going forward is trying oh, to sure. create new stories within both the Marvel and Star Wars universes, because that's two thirds of the pillar that is when you talk about Disney Plus, which I know that the head of Disney has talked about as far as the future of the Disney Plus platform in and of itself, because it looks like from the comments that were made in and around D23 with Hulu and also as well ESPN, there is uh, a possibility. ESPN, right? That's yeah, huge. well, I mean, they own ESPN, and I know some of the shareholders were talking about doing something, I guess, as far as 
disbanding or trying to go ahead and remove ESPN, whereas the CEO stated that actually there's going to be something as far as evolving with ESPN and that they are a major part of what they're doing going forward. And then with Hulu, it was stated that the the intention may be to buy out the rest of whatever Comcast owns, which is about 20 to 40 percent. Sure. Because sure. Disney owns a majority of it and finally making it their own and eventually at some point merging all of these things, which is something I've talked about for a long time on the show as far as merging all these things like they do in other areas of the world where you get Hulu, ESPN and Disney Plus all in one platform. So. I am hoping that by the end of 2023, we can get one true experience that I think is should be well-deserved for everyone that follows it. Because I don't think in its current form, because there's not enough original content, even with everything that was introduced at D23, there's not yeah. enough original, non-Marvel, non-Star Wars content that's compelling enough to get it where it needs to go without Hulu and ESPN. Yeah, they they don't have mix. they don't have the Sandman. They don't have like off the. I mean, like oh God, like when it comes to the sports stuff, why does cable still exist? Cable still exists only because of sports, period, and local news. That's it. Like when we start putting these things together, like I think that that's what the that's what the power play. Like you can actually finally cut your bill. You can watch your home teams. You can watch your away teams. You don't have to be in the area you need to be to be able to do that. You don't have to get a special package. You well, can that's just a, have that's a killer thing right now. Okay, because you can buy a bundle right now for a certain price, but then you still have three separate platforms. You still have to go to a Hulu. You still have to yeah. go to an ESPN Plus. You still have to go to Disney Plus. Yeah. If they combine all three, like they do around the world in various places under the Hot Star network that they do, if they combine all three of these entities on one platform, and, you know, one price, one whole sure. experience, they have something in live sports that Netflix does not have. And if sure. they're looking to go ahead and expand their own Disney Plus 150 million subscribers into passing netflix and it's 220 million subscribers sure that's going to be the way that they do it is through live sports and if they can do that they will go ahead and they should because it's right there for them to go ahead and combine all these assets by the end of 2023 they need to do it and i think that in order to go ahead and get where they need to go or where they want to go i think that's what they need to do and it looks like sure. more and more from what bob shapek the ceo of disney that's what he may be doing right Convenience is not inconvenience. You know, if you want to make people stay on your platform, you make sure that the next video that plays is exactly what that audience wants to go. You don't want ever, ever want them to go, ah, you know what? It's worth it for me to go through somebody else's user interface and find the content that I want to get there. Because that stops your, you know, that stops your entire mechanism. Uh, all you need to do is tap into the most common trait of all humans, which is laziness and get them stuck in the same spot. Because when we want to, when we want to consume content, when we get that precious moments to sit down and watch something that we want, we don't want to spend any other time doing any other thing. I mean, can you imagine the difference? Like, like when you don't have like Hulu prime and you have to watch the commercials and you finally go fine, I'll buy the prime. And like, 
the difference it makes in almost your life is ridiculous because it makes that viewing experience so much better. And that's the difference of having just a simple changing in between the, these different user interfaces. You have to remember where something is. You get to find it again, blah, blah, blah. You can package it, put it in front, and my tiny little two hours I get to enjoy your content is perfectly curated. You already know what I'm trying to get to next, and you make that simple for me. Oh, take my money, please. I mean, fry all day. There you go. Absolutely. So it's looking that it might be headed that direction for users here in the United States in regards to a full platform for Disney+, Plus, possibly combining Hulu and ESPN+, Plus, based off the comments made in recent times, or at least alluded to in recent days, in and around D23 by CEO Bob Chapek. But if you have thoughts out there, would you like to see Disney Plus expand to absorb Hulu and also ESPN Plus, similar to what HBO Max is doing with Discovery Plus next year during the summer when those two entities are all one big happy family under one platform? Please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. Thank you so much again for stepping in on short notice again. I'm hoping that Melinda will feel better in the short term and she'll be feeling better and hopefully she'll be up and around to go ahead and yell at me next week. But before we we head on out, my friend. Don't know how that feels. (laughs) But before we head on out, my friend, Vampires and Vitae is the place that you go each and every week for all your awesome shows. So you are a specialist in the world of vampires. And out this week, Vampire Academy, now available on Peacock with episode one. Your thoughts on becoming a part of the Vampire Academy before we head on out. You know what? There's a reason that D&D is the mother of all games, right? It's pretty much where so many systems were built. There's so much love and care that has been put into that particular platform. I chose Vampire, first of all, because that's what my friends were playing. And second of all, it's because I think it's one of the most interesting archetypes possibly to play. And it just plays with time itself. And to, to anything more Vampire is fun for everyone that's doing vampire and rice has a completely different take than the vampire diaries right but these two things they can exist bring it on you know what steal the things that you're going to love about that show because it's such an interesting topic there's so many places to go within vampire society like are they going to go dark are they going to really look at the bestial nature of people i mean i know that it is targeted more like as a like a high school teen drama, it looks super interesting. It does look like it's going to look over at good and evil. Man, just always give me more vampire content. I'm going to take your show. I'm going to steal every good thing that you say into it. I'm going to apply it to mine. Please be brilliant. That'll just make my show better. If they don't lean so far into the teen high school aspect of the drama, now I'm just excited to get my brain going. I think that becoming a vampire, especially as a young vampire, Part of the thing is, at least what I do with my characters, is learning what is driving them and what makes them tick, what do they despise, and what makes them go further and more passionate or cruel for any of their actions. What better setting than high school? I mean, Heather's is an amazing movie for a reason. This is what a vampire would be coming during that time period. I I find it interesting, and I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch so I can steal, but, you know, I'm a thief. 
Well, there you go. The Thief Indeed. But if you have thoughts on the Vampire Academy, right now the first episode is available on Peacock. Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. So for Robbie Ross, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great